Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast, the show that features artists, entrepreneurs, experts, and commentators that will give you the right knowledge, planning, and guidance so you can preserve your assets and enjoy your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at wealthactually.com. And now, here's your host, Fraser Rice. Welcome back to the Wealth Actually podcast. I'm Fraser Rice. Maggie Vaughn joins us today. She is a psychotherapist here in New York City. And I thought it'd be an interesting conversation to hear about her experiences with her clients as it deals with the COVID-19 virus and a lot of the different things that are going on as people try to adjust to a new normal. Maggie, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. First of all, how are you doing in all of this? In your experience, as you're dealing with your clients and you know we're sort of adjusting to social distancing and those types of scenarios, what has your individual experience been like? Well, I would say first and foremost, I'm grateful to have a job in this environment that provides a certain amount of structure that I'm very happy to have and a certain amount of economic stability. But otherwise, I'm dealing with the same things everyone else is. It's somewhat boring. It's somewhat worrisome dealing with the adjustment to working from home and trying to do the schooling from home with children while working, which is a real challenge, dealing with family members being present at all times, which is somewhat annoying at moments. So I would say I'm dealing with it as well as possible, but it's similar for me as it is for anyone. So one of the things that pops up in my mind as I've talked to a bunch of people, both sort of clients and friends and family members, we have a real fear of the unknown here. And the virus itself, it's taken a while, and I still don't think it's a complete process, but it's taken a while for people to get around the notion that there's something out there that can really shut down the economy in many ways, the world. And it strikes, I guess we're finding out a little bit different facts as it relates to who it can impact, but it really targets the older and the people with pre-existing conditions. How does that square with a lot of clients' experiences? Is this something that's so new and that there aren't real contemporaneous experiences to build off of that helps to heighten the worry? Yes, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said uncertainty. I think, you know, uncertainty is seems to be the hardest part at this point. Human beings want to know. We like to prepare. And as you mentioned, this was so unpredictable. It came on so suddenly that there was no preparing for it. We're not quite sure where this is headed, when it's going to end, how it will end, what the process will be for returning to work and school, whether we're going to die or lose someone that we love to the virus. And this is also why we're all glued to the news in spite of the fact that it further triggers our anxiety. We want answers. We're also unsure of what the long-term societal and economic repercussions will be. I could go on and on, but people do not do well with not knowing. We like to know what's coming. We like boundaries. We like structure. And this whole experience is just so amorphous. We don't know how to make sense of it, how to categorize it how to respond to it, what it means. And so it's triggering a ton of anxiety. One of the things that's interesting to me is the real breakup of routine and the importance of routine in not only stability, but sanity. (laughs) I look at it and I say, geez, you know, I'm stuck. No meetings, Zoom phone calls, the phone calls that people do have. They've got kids screaming in the background and dogs barking and things that sort of get away from a typical business sense. 
And then you have the breakup of routine where people almost feel like they're incarcerated in their own homes. How have you seen that play out with your clients? And as the anxiety builds up, what do you tell them to try to alleviate some of these new conditions? Routine is absolutely essential for human beings. And that was one of the first things that I brought up with my clients when this all began, you know, when the stay at home orders came into effect, was that first and foremost, they had to establish a routine. I think this is a major issue in particular for people who have lost their jobs, because not only are they worried about keeping up with bills and questioning how long they'll be out of work, but it also means they no longer have that routine that's imposed by work. Routine provides a sense of safety. It's also a means of putting bounds on our sense of time. Without routine, time feels endless and immeasurable, and it can be very overwhelming to human beings. Routine also provides us with some sense of progress. We can sort of measure what we've done within the boundaries of our routine, whereas without it, we cannot. So I do think that is first and foremost for anyone who hasn't done it already is establishing a routine. One of the things that's interesting to me is the distortion of time. And it seems to be fairly universal and not just me, (laughs) where I wake up and I'm not quite sure what day it is. And the days fly by. All of a sudden, it's 3 p.m. I've only gotten a little bit accomplished out of what I wanted to do during the day. What kind of phenomenon is that? And I guess that's sort of the evaporation of structure in someone's life. That's what leads to that type of thing. But aside from trying to put different boundaries in place, what else do you tell people to try to make that phenomenon more manageable? It's tough. I mean, you're at a major advantage if you're not out of work, because that, again, that imposes a certain amount of structure and routine. I would say it is important to try, since we're at home all day, every day, it's important to try to set some boundaries around the workday so that we have some sense of variety in our routine and so that we have this part of the day that's about accomplishing things, a part of the day that's about connecting with other people, a portion of the day that is dedicated to self-care or me time. I do think that it's important to come up with some sort of way to demarcate the line between the week and weekend so that, again, we can maintain that sense of variety. Human beings need variety in order to feel as though they're fully living their lives. So if one day runs into the next, the morning runs into the evening, and then there we are in our pajamas, we really don't have a sense of life experience. Life sort of loses its fun and it all gets sort of watered down and we start to lose that sense of meaning and purpose and understanding of why it is that we exist. The work from home phenomenon is something that I think is new to a lot of different people. And I have a pet theory that if I ever get around to writing my second book, the title of it is going to be Happiness is Separate Real Estate, (laughs) where people have their own places to go and their own separate lives. But it's really, I think, hit home to a lot of people for whom their work environment, whether it's an office or family business somewhere or something else where that demarcation is physical as well as sort of time-based. 
and especially for people who have spouses and families and so on, when people discover what they actually do all day, they say, well, you know, is this actually work? And maybe there's some disappointment there or disbelief. That demarcation from a physical sense, which has been taken away from us with the sort of stay in place regulations, how important is that to have that maintained? Well, I think it's absolutely essential. I mean, just for our sanity, we need me time. We need alone time. We need our space to individuate and to grow. And we cannot do that if someone is in our physical space at all times. It's particularly tough. Most of my clients are in New York and they don't have a ton of space. They're in New York apartments. And also going outside is not as much an option as it is for people in the suburbs because it's really hard to keep your six feet. So, you know, I've been talking to them a lot about this. And with them, I say somehow or another, whether it's you closing your eyes, spending some time in a bathroom so that you can meditate, you've got to find that me time. Or, you know, if you are going into one of my clients likes to cook. So we've decided that his alone time is going to be him in the kitchen where no one else is allowed to go while he's cooking. He's creating. He's got his time alone with his thoughts. And that gives him that sense of space that we all so desperately need right now. So if you don't have a separate room to go into, I think you've got to create a sense of space either by getting outside if that's a possibility or by taking time on your own, closing your eyes on a couch and going to your special space in your head. But it's crucial. It's crucial for individual growth and just for sanity and for the ability to enjoy our relationship. For the professionals that you deal with, have you had people who've come to you with anxiety, sort of from an obvious standpoint, people who are out of work or for the entrepreneur who's watched their sales go down 90 (laughs) percent? That brings about obvious anxiety, I would think. But for other people who are looking at it and seeing change in the world and change in the way things are done. Do you see people who are looking out and saying, am I becoming outmoded or is what I do obsolete or even important? And will it be important in the future? And is this something that any tips or tricks for people to try to stay grounded as they feel their way along on that process? I just think for many people, it's a terrifying time career-wise because they really don't know what all of this means. They don't know where it's headed. And again, there was no time to prepare for this. So professionals are finding themselves scrambling in order to adjust so that their businesses can work online. Some of them really don't feel at all as though their businesses work online and they're terrified. And what I'm telling them is to focus on what they can do, try to make a plan to the extent that they can make a list of people they can reach out to within their network for advice. And if they can't take action now to try to trust that when the time comes that they have, that some of these unknown variables have fallen into place and they know more what they're working with, to trust that they will take the necessary action to make their current job work or to make themselves more viable as employees. So some of them are taking the time now to obtain certifications or 
to take online courses so that they're better equipped to get the jobs that they want once they come out of this or to build their businesses once this is all said and done. But I think that the key is really to try to focus on what's happening right now, what the knowns are, and what's within your control as opposed to what all of these unknowns are, which will just send your head spiraling. One of the later things that I thought this is actually kind of an interesting dry run for people who are about to retire or are going to retire in five or even 10 years, that this provides an interesting dry run to what that experience is going to look like. Any thoughts on that? And when people have to spend more time together within the family unit, or they have an absence of things to do during the day or an absence of structure, I think one of the sort of weird benefits is that people are going to give that a little bit more thought as they transition from their working lives into their non-working lives. Does that come up in your practice at all? It actually has not since the stay-at-home orders began. However, I love this question because in working with people who I've seen through the transition to retirement, what I see is that many people expect it to be one thing that it winds up not being. They're so excited about retiring and having all of this time. And then when they actually get there, they wind up depressed. I think this idea that this might be a dry run for retirement is an interesting one because what people are finding is that they can't just have free time. They still have to have some structure. They still have to have something that provides them with a sense of progress and purpose. I tell all of my clients, it is absolutely essential that you have something that provides you with a sense of purpose in your life and something that gives you a measurable sense of progress. And I think that that's true in retirement as well. It doesn't matter what it is you're doing. If you're gardening or you're painting or your way of measuring progress and purpose is through who you're reaching out to in the world, just as long as you have those two things in place, you're going to be okay. But a lot of people going into retirement just think it's going to be great to have free time and to simply have more options. And actually, what I see is that options are very overwhelming for people. So you want to have a bit more structure going in than, than just free time. So one thing that I have zero experience with, because I don't have kids, is the sort of advent of homeschooling and what happens when the kids are around and A, what education looks like, how to provide structure, how to help out with calculus homework when you don't know it yourself, and what the year looks like. What's your experience been, maybe personally, as your kids have sort of come back? And then has this been something voiced to you by your clients? Oh, yes. This has been brought up by many, you know, it's funny, the other day I was working all day and I just saw my husband running away from the children in the middle of the workday saying, just don't talk to me. Don't ask me anything. Pretend I'm not here. He just decided that no schooling was going to happen on that day, that it just wasn't worth it. And you know what? I completely get it. There are some days in which for parents, it's just too much and you have to try to Put the schooling into perspective with the broader picture. We just have to get through this moment together. We have to continue to enjoy our relationships and to enjoy our lives on the whole. And yes, to tend to the schooling, but to not take it so seriously that we're tortured by it. It's a tough time. And I think also for people who are working from home, I think 
this is one of the ways in which being at home together with families can make us feel very stuck. We're, we're stuck with our family members all day long. We're stuck at home um, in our inability to accomplish anything because someone is always in our space. So we have to do whatever we can to alleviate that sense of being stuck. One of the issues that I hear talked about a lot is the dangers of being online for extended periods of time. And this was happening well before the pandemic, and people were worried about their kids being glued to their phones and people glued to their computers or social media for long periods of time. And the online outlet now is extremely important, I think, to help fill the days for a lot of people. But is there a danger in that the let's call it the cure for, or at least the medicine for filling up the time in this environment that we're going to have trouble snapping back to what reality is going to turn out to be for us and maybe building up even more of an online addiction? Well, it might be. I mean, it depends on how you're spending your time online. I think a few problems with being online all day. One is that we're so sedentary. That's problematic for our moods. You know, it's really important that we get up and move throughout the day. But certainly if you're online and you're playing Fortnite all day or you're searching YouTube or just flipping through Instagram, that can be quite toxic. And you come out of it feeling as though your life is quite meaningless, as though nothing happened. So I think it's important to pay attention to how you're spending your time online. Make sure that you're doing activities of some substance. It's fine to play but I would try to limit the amount of time that you're spending playing and to try to spend more of your online time connecting with people or doing your work. And then in your free time, doing whatever you can to pull away from your computer. I do think when we come out of it, I think we're going to be so excited to be able to interact with other human beings that we will come out of it. But I guess that addiction piece with those who are online playing games and just getting sucked into the time warp of YouTube and so on, I think it could pose a real danger for those folks. I saw some funny meme that said, oh, do you want to go to the DMV and a first grade concert? And so it's like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like so much fun. This is exactly what I want right now. I want to hang out in the DMV, but sure. But the uh, person, right. <laughs> exactly. One thing that surprised me, or it surprises me currently, so I'm in the middle of Manhattan and New York City has... I guess as of right now, well over 100,000 cases of coronavirus and I think over 8,000 deaths or something like that. But I only know a couple of people who have the virus. And I think nationwide, there are many fewer instances where people have friends or family members that have had it. Where do you, And this is a tough question because we don't know a lot and we don't know what the sort of expanse of testing is going to be. But what kind of stigma do you think is going to be attached to this virus going forward? On the one hand, you know, if you have the cold or the flu, no one cares. If you had HIV back in the early 80s, a lot of people cared. Are we somewhere along that continuum? And is that going to end up being something that's probably closer to the cold or the flu or is this going to be something eventually where it's like the chicken pox, where somebody in the community has it and you go and send your kids over there so you get that taken care of and then you move on to other things? I think that stigma was more of a thing before quarantining began, when there was suspicion that somebody at work had a spouse who worked with somebody who had coronavirus. 
then there was suspicion about that colleague and whether it was safe to be around that colleague. And I know that there were rumors at my kids' schools about some teacher having interacted with a friend when they went on vacation and the friend wound up with coronavirus and everyone was freaking out about that. So I think the stigma, I think at this point, it's really dissipated. I don't think coming out of this, there's going to be much of a stigma from what I can tell. I think there are going to be so many people who have either had the virus, know somebody who's had the virus, or through one or two degrees of separation, know somebody who's had the virus. I just, I think it's going to be so widespread that stigma is not really going to be a thing from what I can tell. Well, we've talked about a lot of the dire issues and consequences and things like that. How about some benefits with the ability to, in a sense, take a pause from real life? What do you see as an opportunity for people to really sort of take stock of their lives and maybe make some changes that may have been more difficult to do before? Yeah, I think ideally we use this as an opportunity, an opportunity for self-reflection. It's a pause in our usual routine in which we can consider where we want to go from here, how we can live more fully and meaningfully. People are intrinsically driven to grow, to self-actualize. And sometimes life gets in the way of that. You know, if you're going into an office all day, every day, and perhaps you're going into a job that you don't even like, but your ability to have autonomy and to self-actualize is limited under those circumstances. And this is a time in which many can reconsider the path that they want to take moving forward. It's a good time to think about what matters most to us and how we want to connect with that. Is it by showing more of an interest in the people we love? Is it by attaching ourselves to a political or educational cause? Is it through creative expression? Or is it taking a broad approach and simply trying to live as fully as possible in all realms of life? But yeah, I think this could be a great opportunity. Any particular exercises in mind that help people use this time well? I mean, obviously, for lots of people, it involves reading that stack of books that they never felt like they could get to or going back and seeing the movies they didn't see. I've been trying to sort of pick up on a couple of side gig projects that have been interesting to me that I wanted to develop. And it's allowed me to change sort of the trajectory career-wise in a couple of ways as well. What have you seen that's been interesting for people to sort of use this time well? I think it is a great time to, depending on how much spare time you have, and especially you mentioned the time warp earlier, The weeks do seem to run into the weekends and the days seem to run into the night. So, and there's no time spent commuting. So for many of us, there is time to follow through on that lifelong goal of learning to play an instrument or taking up another language or reading a series of books. So I think it's a fabulous time to step back and say, how do I want to make use of this? Because I might not get this time again. And it's another way in which you can take advantage of of this time and enjoy it. One of the things that I'm, I don't know if I'm struggling with it, but I can feel it coming on is the onset of sort of lack of exercise. And you talked about the importance of moving. I mean, I feel my body getting very thirsty for things like yoga and running and the golf that I miss and so on. How important is that in people's lives? And as you said, there's sort of a difference between living in the suburbs and the city. But what steps do you think you can take to really carve that out for yourself? Well, exercise is essential. And what I tell people is you don't have to exercise 
for hours every day, you can start small. Just 20 minutes a day can make a huge difference in lowering cortisol levels of the stress hormone, improving sleep, improving mood. So I would go for 20 minutes a day if you're not a regular exerciser and it's somewhat daunting for you to think about taking that on. There are a ton of apps now. I love the Mind Body app. There are a ton of online live classes. The added benefit of that is that you feel somewhat connected to other people as well when you take the online, the live courses. And try to get out. If you can get out, I think that's the best option. We know that connecting with nature is really helpful for our sense of well-being and feeling connected with the outer world. And it's a time which a lot of us are feeling disconnected. So I think getting out, if at all possible, is really important. So we've talked a lot about sort of lots of steps you can take when things are sort of disjointed and so on. What happens if you're in a, let's say, a family situation or a work situation that is, for one reason or another, irreparable or difficult, and you're in this confined environment, what steps do you take in order to limit the damage, not only to yourself, especially, but to the ones around you? And I'm thinking in many times when you're in a crisis, like something like this, this amplifies problems that are currently in people's relationships. And what happens if that starts to escalate? This is a great question. I'm laughing because I'm thinking about, I think it was about week three of the stay-at-home order when everything took a very severe downward turn in relationships. The first two weeks, I think people were excited. There was a sense of novelty about the situation. And then in, in week three, I had multiple clients saying that their relationships just weren't working out. They just hadn't in fact improved all of that work that we had done over the past 18 months and all of those improvements that we thought were being made were actually not being made. Things are terrible. The relationship is doomed. I had one wife send me an email, which I hate to say it, but it was sort of hilarious because she said, whatever it is you're doing with, we'll call him Dave, in your therapy sessions is not working. And either you fix it or I am leaving or killing him. And the reason I found it to be funny, I mean, I really felt for her and I identified with her as well. I mean, I'm sick of my family members too. But the reason I thought it was funny was that it was so predictable that it would be coming because it was something about that week three that made people feel as though they couldn't stand being in the presence of their loved ones or who they thought were at one point their loved ones any longer. And what I try to remind people of is that this is a moment in time. No matter how long this lasts, it is a moment in time. So you've got to really try to go easy on your relationships, cut them some slack. People were not designed to, outside of infancy, to spend all day every day with other people. So to put it into that perspective, to remember that this is a very difficult situation. This is why when families go on road trips, they come back more scarred than fulfilled. It's only 10 years later that they look back at pictures and talk about what a wonderful time they had. It's because they've forgotten how horrible it was. So it's just absolutely essential that we remember this is a moment in the whole scheme of things. And these are extraordinary circumstances and do whatever you can to create a sense of space to carve out 
that alone time for yourself. But when you can't do it, just try to cut your relationship some slack. As we start to wind down here, one of the things that helped me to get through is to try to envision what next month looks like and then what things are going to look like in six months, both professionally and personally, et cetera. And that that's helped me kind of work backward in terms of developing a structure to get from A to Z on that front. How important is it to try to look ahead without making crazy predictions about things you don't know about, but to try to envision or at least see the light at the end of the tunnel? Well, I think to the extent that you know what the future looks like, you can plan. If you know, for example, that you will have a job coming out of this, then you can enjoy that peace of mind knowing that, for example. But if you don't know and you're trying to make guesses about what will come, that can get you into trouble, actually, because I think that cause that's where all of the what ifs come in. If this and what if that and then people start to spiral and become panicky because there is no way to plan for the future. So I think to the extent that you can plan great you might even make lists of what you will do under certain circumstances. You know, if you can narrow down the possibilities and then write out, okay, well, if this is how things look, here are some of the steps I will take then. That can be very helpful because then you have this concrete evidence in front of you that you will take care of whatever it is that needs to get done. To the extent that you don't know and you're just guessing, I would redirect your thoughts to something else, something that's more constructive, even if that's cleaning your house or whatever. But I think getting caught up in the what ifs can be very problematic for people. So plan what you can and then stop there. Well, this has been really helpful, Maggie. Thank you very much. How do we keep tabs on you and how can people find out more about what you do? Well, you can check out my website, which is everyoneneedstherapy.com. My psychotherapy group practice that's in the city is at happyapplenyc.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram, Maggie Vaughn, MFT, PhD. And that's about it. Terrific. Well, stay healthy, keep your family healthy and stay safe in all of this and look forward to hearing more from you. Oh, thank you. You too. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wealth Actually, hosted by Fraser Rice, author of the book Wealth Actually and a leading private wealth manager. Head on over to wealthactually.com where you can subscribe to this podcast, get your own copy of the Wealth Actually book, and connect with Fraser directly. We'll see you next time on Wealth Actually. Wealth Actually.